Hi, everyone, and welcome back to OnChain Alpha, a weekly podcast where we explore the world of on-chain data. We unpack valuable insights and novel applications of on-chain data together with the people who are building the most innovative data infrastructure, analytics platforms, and are writing your favorite threads and articles. Make sure to sign up to our newsletter at cryptosapiens.xyz. OnChain Alpha is made possible through generous support from Mosaic Drops, the Optimism Collective, and Bankless DAO. Today, we're talking to Adam Levy, producer of the Mint Podcast and co-founder of Bello. Oh, man. Yeah. So you were asking, what have I been up to? Um, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I just started recording podcasts again after a year hiatus, if you can believe that. Um, and it feels good. Uh, you're, you're a podcaster. and we, I, I want to touch on that, too. Wait, because... have, you, have you been your episodes on pods? Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yeah, I think with the team over there, Lucas and Drew, what they're doing obviously is pretty rad. Um, I was actually just talking about uh, distribution to Eureka John, who's on stage with us just a few moments ago. Um, you know, distribution is is kind of the key, right? So if you can find a way to help people discover your content, uh, engage with it, um, and kind of build community with it. I think that's that's the key. And I think Pods is doing really good stuff there. I think Zora is doing stuff there. I want to hear about like your recent experiment because I, I follow you on Farcaster, obviously. Um, and I saw you promote like 500, uh, I guess, NFTs, or at least for the first 500 people that, that minted that NFT, you'd be covering the cost. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, but before we get started, give us an introduction to who you are what you're up to, and then we'll jam about everything that you've been doing for the last couple of years and now. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you for having me on. That was a heck of an intro. Um, I know we have so much to talk about, Humpty, um, and I'm very excited to be here. Um, my name is Adam Levy, uh, levy.eth on Ethereum, uh, Levy on Farcaster, Levy Chain on Lens, uh, Levy Chain on Twitter. I mean, we, we can plug it all. Um, I got started in crypto in late 2017 when Bitcoin hit 20K for the first time and was automatically uh, mesmerized by how something could be trading so high, but then fell in love with the underlying technology. And that sort of like led me down the rabbit hole of crypto, Web3 and all the buzzwords that we like to use in the community. Um, for the first, I guess, two years or so, um, two and a half, three years in the space, um, I was focused on building community events on my college campus, started the crypto club at USC, and then started working at a venture fund shortly after graduating and got my first forte to working at what uh, I guess like early stage investing looks like in crypto. And through that, I got exposed to content and started the show called Blockchain and Booze um, during COVID. And that sort of like spun my whole interest into building audiences in the creator economy in crypto specifically. So I left the fund, started this podcast called Mint. Um, Mint today has about, what, 30,000, a little over 30,000 subscribers on Substack. Um, many, many downloads across Spotify, uh, Apple Music, and YouTube. And then more importantly, I've, I've like spent a lot of my focus building an on-chain audience, linking Web2 data to Web3 data. And that inspired me to co-found Bello with my amazing co-founder, Ellie Farisi. Um, and I guess in short... Bello helps you discover actionable insights on your on-chain audience. But that's a little bit about my story, how we got <laughs> to where we are today. And, that's um, huge, man. Hopefully that, that's like a good like uh, weave into the mix. 
That's perfect. Now, I mean, so, I mean, having you on to me is, is special for several reasons. First of all, I first learned about the work that you were doing through the Mint podcast. Mm. I can't recall if you, if like the Mint podcast has, had already been going on before Crypto Sapiens kind of launched a little over two years ago, or if it was around the same time or after. But all I know is that I was really enjoying the conversations that you were hosting and the people that you're bringing on. And I think for any podcast host, that's kind of like the holy grail. Is that can you find really interesting people doing important work that are able to talk about it, you know, in a fun way? Because if they're going to sit there and kind of like preach and in a monotone voice, so at least for me, it's not fun. Uh, and I think you you're able to do all three very well. Beyond that, you started experimenting with on-chain media very early. Uh, you know, you, I think one of the things that you were doing is you were issuing NFTs to your listeners uh, through your website. And then I remember you mentioning how there were tons of insights that you were getting from uh, these NFTs, right? You would mm -hmm. be able to then track or analyze the wallets of these people and then understand your listeners better. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if that kind of was the inspiration for Bello. And since Bello has gone live to the public now, and, and talk about that too, please. How have you found that that has helped with Bello as a platform and not just you having to go to these blockchain explorers and do the work? It's a great, uh, great perspective. And for me, building the Mint podcast, ever since season two, I started experimenting with rewarding my, my audience and my guests with pull-ups and I would have them fill out this form and I would then airdrop them this token to play on the narrative of like, prove you were here before anybody else. And I rewarded 601 wallets with that pull-up and it forever marked the early support in my creative journey. Um, and then, like you said, I started experimenting with then having people fit, submit further forms on my site. And over a good amount of time, I was able to build a database of over 100,000 wallets linked to email addresses. And I had all this like extensive data in Web2 across Substack, YouTube, and Spotify to understand my audience in Web2. But when it came to understanding them in Web3, I knew nothing about them and it drove me crazy. And at the time, I couldn't go query Dune because I don't know how to write a line of SQL. I couldn't go to the Nansen's, the I Moby tools, IC tools of the world because I don't really care about the financial trading activity. And a lot of the NFTs that I would give out were also free as well. Right? So they had no volume that would then be picked up on these, these huge data aggregators. Um, so building Bello was very much of a sheer of like being really pissed off that I don't have a way to understand my audience. And then working with Ellie to help solve that problem and now solve that for many, many others. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been quite the journey so far. I think one of the, one of the things that um, I learned early on was... As I was building like my Lens Protocol Island, when Lens was like really popping off, and as I was building my HubSpot CRM Island, and as I was building my podcast NFT Island, I had all these like individual hubs on Ethereum, and I realized that I was the link between all of them. So I was the platform, and wherever I would go, my audience would then shortly follow. So I, I can send an email out. And regardless if I built that audience on Zora, I can then send them to my own website where I had third web contracts, or I can then send them to, to, to Lens to follow and engage with the post that I made. And then I realized like I was the center of my on-chain world, and I figured if I 
knew more about the interactions and the breadcrumbs that they left in their wallets, I could piece that information together to create better content and find more, more sponsors that were aligned with the things that they were interested in on chain. And like that led me down the rabbit hole of like, wait, I'm just a creator. Like anybody whose business is predicated on wallets will need to understand this and understand who their on-chain audience is, whether it be the wallets that are authenticating through their website via dynamic or privy, whether it be the commemorative NFTs that they launch on Zora, whether it be the people who subscribe to their channel on Farcaster, the wallet is the unit of value that links that entire value chain together. And understanding that entire top of funnel is very much what we're focused at at Bello. Yeah, you know, okay, so the, obviously there's a lot I want to unpack there, but you said one thing that to me is, I think part of the problem uh, in Web3 for which you're solving, you're one of the people that are solving a solution for, and that's no code tools. So you talked about kind of how you were, you were using third web. I use third web too, all the time. Um, it is a wonderful platform for anyone who doesn't know much about contracts to go in there and launch one, right? And then start building with these Legos, uh, some really interesting experiences. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about Bello as a no-code analytics platform. Hopefully I'm describing it correctly, if not, correct me. Um, and why that's important compared to maybe some others that require for you to understand some coding. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout one out, Dune. I think super powerful, you know, wonderful tool. Love the people that I'm going to have Andrew here on the show pretty soon. So this is no diss to them because absolutely not. They're building a really cool tool, but it's not for everyone. So right. how does Bello stand apart and create value for those of us who may not be the most proficient coders? Bellows data and charts and metrics are very opinionated. We have a question first approach to building product. And we try to think of what questions do you want answered on your on-chain audience? It's very simple. And at Bello, the thing that very much sets us apart from somebody like Dune or Nansen is that we create insights that inspire action. The way we inspire action and the way we empower users to take action is through helping them distribute their messages, whether it be through something like XMTP or having Twitter handles linked to wallet addresses, we allow them to take action on the data. So in very simple terms, when, when somebody comes to Bello, it's a very three-step process to seeing value. The first step is you enter Bello to define the audience you want to target. We have over 10 million uh, profiles in Bello for you to add contracts, upload wallets, and really build this custom cohort of users that you want to either understand or maybe it's your own users or a complementary or competitive community that you want to discover. From there, we show you a comprehensive list of insights and, and metrics that are designed for you to come up with ideas to take action, right? And with that, we have a variety of no-code filters to actually segment wallets, um, either based off their Twitter handles, based off their following, based off their net worth, the communities that they're a part of, how long they've held the NFT, how much revenue they've generated for you to really isolate and pinpoint your most loyal community of collectors and then from there, the final step is we empower you to engage them, like I said, either by broadcasting messages, either through Web2 platforms or Web3 platforms. So it's a really a, a three-step process to discover, it's to define, discover, and engage. Like that's how we try to sum up the value that we create at Bello. Going back to discovery, going back to, I think, a word that you used, um, and I know I certainly use in the beginning in distribution. I mean, I think distribution is the holy grail for, you know, Web3 in general, um, it is 
very difficult to find anything, especially we're talking about blockchains, right? We're talking about ledgers that have a lot of data points or access points um, to that you can surely uh, find. It's a, you know, it's a transparent ledger. You can access it permissionlessly, but it's not it's so easy to understand. Um, tell me a little bit more about Bellow as an opinionated platform, because I think that's a really wonderful framing of it. Um, how do you see those opinions changing or evolving over time, you know, based on, you know, the natural progression of the development of the product, but also community feedback? Yeah. So our approach has evolved tremendously since we got started at ETH Amsterdam's hackathon in April of 2022. Like that's where Bello kicked off. And we started with a simple vision of empowering music artists with on-chain data to understand who their collectors are. It's since evolved to help a wide spectrum of users from communities, marketplaces, protocols, et cetera. And the funny thing is, is like a lot of these stakeholders, they may seem different based in size, but a lot of them have very similar questions that they want answers to, to have. So in many respects, like the way we alter our strategy is just by seeing very simply what's trending. Loyalty and points are trending. If you're an NFT community like Fluff World, you want to understand across the six or seven pieces of uh, IPs that you've dropped, how many have collected at least one of every single from every single contract that you've deployed. Funny enough, like a good amount have done that, right? So maybe those are the folks that I should be allow listing for my following project or rewarding with some type of premium spot, allow list, whatever it may be, just to, as a thanks for being a part of every single contract that we've deployed. Barcaster is hot. People are building on-chain audiences, right? And they have been for an extended period of time, but now more individuals are building on-chain audiences. They want to understand who are these users that are following me on Lens and on Barcaster. So being able to build a cohort, not only of your own followers, but of the channels that people are following and people that you respect and, and look up to as a point of influence, understanding who their followers are and being able to analyze that is a really key thing. And the beauty behind all this is like all this data is public, right? So it's one thing to build an aggregator and ingest all the data. It's another thing to build, build proprietary insights and labels around that data to contextualize that information to understand what's happening on chain, right? So it's not just about seeing volume, right? Or like transaction count or unique wallets. Like that doesn't matter. And like it matters, but like there's so much, there's so much more data on chain. In fact, there's more data, Web3 data uploaded every single day than TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram combined. And it's on track to surpass YouTube. Like that's how much Web3 native data is being published. So to think that there's a whole new opportunity of just like contextualizing that information and deriving actionable opinionated insights to inform a new generation of marketers and, and individuals to take action on that data, that's what fires us up every single morning. At Bella. I love that. That's a wonderful way of putting it. So, I mean, there's your alpha right there. Um, a lot of that data, as you've described, uh, continues to grow every day. I wonder, I mean, you, so you touched, you've touched on social several times already, and obviously it makes sense. Um, tell me, like, what are some of the social insights that you've seen started to emerge or have changed um, in, recent, in recent days or recent weeks? Because I, for anybody who follows you, and, and I mean, I want to make sure I shout this out. You are one of the largest uh, creators on Lens, if not continue to be the largest creator on Lens in terms of like followers and your consistency in terms of like how 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 much you, you put there on that platform. 
we've seen Farcaster kind of flip the script a little bit, just maybe in terms of the noise that they're making. I know Farcaster frames definitely had a lot to do with that because in my opinion, Crypto UX needed a little bit of a, you know, kick in the butt. And I think frames has come to do that. Tell me a little bit in terms of like, these social insights and things that you're able to discover that you've seen that are interesting. You mentioned Fluff World a bit. Maybe there is a relationship between that and Farcaster and Lens. Like, what are some of the things that you've been seeing emerge there? I think the most compelling thing, especially as people understand what their Web3 social strategy is, is first understanding what percentage of your users are already native to Web3 social. And then understanding what communities they're a part of to then inspire you to which communities you should spend time in. And one of the metrics that we've built that has been like one of the most valuable for our users is just seeing the percentage overlap between their cohort of users and the profiles that were minted, for example, on Lens. So for example, let's say a creator on sound wants to create more distribution for their song. Right now, they're either confined to the restrictions of Twitter's algorithm, which at some, like, to some extent they've perfected distribution, but in many ways they've, they've doomed distribution or just the native in-depth distribution that sound provides for distributing music, um, whether that be through in the platform, whether it be through their emails, whatever it may be. Now, if you notice that a certain percentage of your, of your collectors are native to platforms like Lens and Barcaster, and you haven't started posting on there, why haven't you? Like clearly an X percent of your users are native to that community. It serves as a perfect avenue to reach them and to find them and then potentially find like-minded people within those social circles to engage and spend and spend time in. So that's like probably the more compelling one that I could share right now. We're in the process of integrating more Farcaster features as we speak. Um, so expect an update from that, hopefully within the next week or so. Um, but we have a series of new metrics and dashboards that we're going to be releasing that the whole team is very, very excited about. Um, and as I experiment with more frames, and as I see other people experimenting with frames and how they drive traffic to channels and build followings on chain, it serves as a brand new like open space just to understand what people care about and parse that data and reveal certain preferences and interests around followers that you could never do in Web2 social. Yeah. So you mentioned again earlier, you mentioned this, and I'm trying to unpack it as best I can. I'm trying to go back and then correlate it with something you might have just said. One of these things that you brought up earlier is the work that you were doing with traditional data, financial data early on in your career. And then the work that you're doing now with social data. One of the things that I've seen, let's call it a Nansen, right, um, is the ability to uh, follow a wallet to basically replicate uh, some of the actions of a wallet you know kind of degenerate but you know maybe I can get lucky and 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 uh, increase the value of my of my funds if I imitate a, a really good trader mm -hmm. how does this work in a social setting right because we're talking about social insights mm -hmm. does, I mean and, and you can tell me maybe Bellows already doing this or maybe not maybe it's in the on the horizon how can you leverage on-chain data and social insights? to become a better creator, to improve the way that you connect with your audience? If you realize that a certain percentage of your users are either engaging in certain channels, having certain conversations, buying certain things, from a pure creator perspective, if you're a podcaster, you're going to want to create content around that. Um, a good example is like even before uh, Farcaster Lens were a thing, I noticed that a certain percentage of my audience, aka my wallets, 
were collecting things on Zora. And I had never really created content around Zora or had the founders or team members from Zora on the podcast. And I noticed when I brought individuals on the podcast from Zora, those episodes got 40 to 50% more downloads than the typical podcast episode. So I was able to use on-chain data to then inform my content strategy off-chain and then deliver better content for my users based off what they were trading. Another good example is that if you see your community like in a more recently trending basis, purchasing certain NFTs or buying tokens, bring the founders of those communities to your podcast and create content around that because clearly there's an affiliation and there's nothing more fresh than seeing what they're trading and where they're spending their money because chances are they're more likely to engage with that uh, because they're more receptive to it. So I think another example is like once you start building a substantial database of wallets um, that are tied to your activity and your, your, your content on chain, I think you start opening up yourselves to richer opportunities to create more aligned campaigns with sponsors. So a good example is somebody like Diana Chen from the Rehash podcast. She uses Bello actively to understand who are the people participating in her joke race content and the people collecting her podcast NFTs. So she combined, again, she has multiple touch points where she builds an on-chain audience. She brings that entire, all those touch points to her top of funnel, analyzes them through Bello, and I was able to see that a certain percentage of their users are native to Zerion. So what did she do? She went to Zerion and then sold a $20,000 sponsorship to Zerion, showing the data that I now reach a certain percentage of users directly to my community. Either you're going to work with me or your competitors will, right? Obviously, I don't think she did that, right? But I'm like, that's how I think ruthlessly, right? <laughs> if I'm like, if I'm like a peer, like I, I got to make ends meet for my creative endeavors. So either we want to work together, right? Or we're going to have uh, uh, competitors, right? Or complementary products work together. So these are some of like the on, and we have an entire case study on that on the Bellow site as well under case studies. Um, so that's a really compelling point. Um, there's many other instances I can, I can run through, but I think those are like, because you asked about creators, I think those are like the most compelling, like most compelling cases right now. Yeah, that's great. And I appreciate you shouting out uh, Diana, because I think um, she, like you, are is one of my heroes when it comes to, you know, creators and curators, I would say, uh, in this space now, um, in terms of not just the content that, that they produce, but also um, the technology that they've adopted and integrated to their flow. Um, I think that's great. And I, you've also talked about Joke Race. You know, David and team, what they're building over there is tremendous. I really love it. I think crypto needs to be more fun. And that's a really cool kind of uh, tool to make, um, you know, uh, engagement um, a little bit more fun, uh, a little bit more palatable, palatable and uh, yeah, because governance isn't necessarily always fun. Uh, but yeah, that that's always really cool. Um, you know, you also, we've also been talking about Farcaster and Lens. Uh, you recently tweeted something or posted something on X that talks about the integration of XMTP. You also talked about a little bit earlier. What's the value proposition to integrating XMTP? And what's kind of, its relationship with like social platforms like Warpcast and Lens? An inbox for every wallet is a very compelling concept. Um, and then as you build an on-chain audience, being able to engage those wallets, regardless of which product they, they met you on, is even more powerful. Oftentimes in Web2, when you're building audiences, they're completely fragmented, like or fragmented, whatever the word is. 
either you're building an audience on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, and the, the point of value that ties all that together is a link in bio most of the times. Or you're building uh, a database in HubSpot, is selling tickets via Eventbrite, uh, having e-commerce on Shopify, and the unit of value that connects all that together is an email address. So you're consistently always rebuilding and trying to parse together an otherwise distributed, like broken audience. But in Web3, wherever you go, your community follows, like you are the platform. And you can't get de-platformed when you are the platform. So being able to engage your audience wherever they met you initially and being able to communicate messages to them through their wallets, to their wallets, is just super powerful. I think I've really gravitated towards this concept personally, and then I can speak on behalf of the entire team because I built a community of like 30,000 email subscribers in Substack and over 100,000 subscribers in HubSpot. And email rates differ, bounce rates differ. Like there's so many, like HubSpot can control how many emails I can send. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like too much in the arms of these bigger parties to really be able to understand my audience and engage them on my terms the way I like. So for my own personal preference, like this is hopefully the last audience that I'm building. And I want to be able to engage them and communicate to them and talk to them and understand them and reach them on my terms whenever I'd like at whatever point. And from Velo's perspective, we were able to, to, to build a lot of these like actionable insights. And for the longest time, people were asking us like, this is great, I'm really informed, I know what to do, but how do I take action now? And XMTP was our first iteration of being able to empower them to take action on the data. So for example, let's say you're Fluff World, you have uh, you found that 19% of your audience collected at least one of six contracts. Um, you want to reward them. Send them a message. Be like, hey, you're getting this first. Just wanted to let you know that we have this drop coming up as a thank you for collecting every single one of the contracts that we've deployed. I wanted to add you to whatever, whatever the offer is, right? And being able to do that on your terms with an inbox that they own that neither Coinbase, neither XMTP, no one can really take away from them. It's powerful. It's really, really compelling. One of the things I want to ask you, I guess, is what are some of the on-chain experiments that are happening today? Uh, it doesn't have to be just decentralized social. Um, you've talked about Zora. You've talked about sound. Like, What are some of these on-chain experiments, though, specifically that you see emerging that really excite you and its potential for discovery on Bello? The thing that I'm constantly tinkering with um, right now is very much like this uh, this graphic, okay? Like, what does it mean to go viral on chain? And you caught me at a really like fun time because I'm I'm like I just finished the first draft of what it means to build an on chain audience, and I think the concept of going viral on chain is a brand new concept um, that more and more people are going to be exposed to. And this, this doesn't just have to do with Farcaster and Lens. Like this is irrespective of Farcaster and Lens. Farcaster and Lens just add an element that can help boost this entire flywheel. And um, I noticed that allow lists now have a new meaning. Wherein in the PFP NFT era, they would be used as a way to kind of like add yourself to a list to get like pre-mint access. But now allow lists are a vehicle for targeting users. 
So if I'm added to, if I added Google wallets to an allow list, those wallets now get triggered through Coinbase wallet and Zerion that they have an offer to claim because they've made an exclusive list and that offer is unique to them. If they mint, then those transactions get indexed by aggregators like mint.fund and Zora Trending. And then other people that act as a top of funnel from those websites. And those websites get between a quarter of a mil to millions of visitors, right? Every single month to understand exactly what's trending. And then that inspires more mints. And then use XMTP to engage your community and message them to drive even more mints. And then you have the DAP native platforms that have their own in-app algorithms that distribute content, right? A good one is like Farcaster um, that has its own unique algorithm for empowering a frame to go viral, right? Like I had a, a frame that went viral the other day in the base channel. I got over a thousand likes. I boosted it via Zora, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can get into that later. But I think there's like this, this flywheel um, that's on-chain native, irrespective of a product necessarily that can inspire a product to go uh, viral on chain as measured by how many mints it has. Um, so I think this is like a very novel new concept that's emerging. I don't see too many people talking about this. Um, and I've experimented with every single frontier. So I'm like slowly like piecing together the puzzle to how these four sort of uh, pieces link together and work in tandem um, with one another. Yeah, well, I'll start by saying it's never an accident. Everything's by design. So having you on now uh, was the plan all along. Secondly, <laughs> you're probably the first one. I was kind of laughing a bit when you first shared the screen to actually leverage the sharing features on here. Uh, myself included. So when you popped this up, you kind of took me by surprise. But I was like, whoa, what's coming on the screen? Hopefully nothing <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, no, this is really cool. And, you know, this to me is no surprise that you're sharing this with me because like, I've always considered you to be very thoughtful about, you know, the work that you do and, you know, how, how you kind of develop or, 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 or the way that you think, uh, you know, the, the way that you go through your thinking process. Um, and so... So that anyone, including myself, understands this flywheel a little bit, a little bit better. Give yes. me a Web two equivalent of like how this flywheel would have worked before. Maybe some of the spokes that would have been missing before too. That Web three truly enables. I think the most like prominent example in Web two is early days of WhatsApp when people would share a link and. Everybody was like congregated on a WhatsApp and then that link would get copy pasted to many other group chats and many other users. And it sort of it like it reminds me of like a network dispersing a message kind of thing. Right. And I think fast forward to today, I don't know if you really have that in Web2. Like platforms are very gated. There are these walled gardens, right, as people like to say. And whatever happens on that platform stays on that platform. I think maybe the more common is like maybe virality happens on Reddit and then that spreads to TikTok and then that eventually spreads to Reels, right? And a lot of like early internet humor stems on, uh, on platforms like Reddit um, or like now even more so like a lot of the, the Gen Z humor stems on TikTok and then that makes its way to Reels. I don't know if you're ever on your phone like just like mindlessly scrolling. You're like, wait, I've already seen this video. Like, why am I seeing this again? Um, so I think like people are looking at other platforms for metrics that encourage that, that sort of, sort of like indicate virality. And then they repurpose that content, create new memes from it and post it on another platform. 
It's essentially the same media, but it's just like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Whereas here, you don't need to copy, paste. The underlying network is Ethereum, right? And like the products that are built on top of that, and I have like another graph if you want to see this graph. <laughs> bring it, man, bring it. Let's, let's see if I can pull this one up. And, and while you pull that up, I'm going to say, yeah. I do everything possible in my power not to doom scroll. And so I have timers oh. on social apps. I have black and white settings for these apps God. so that they do not look as interesting. I used to waste so much time uh, where now I really try to restrict that usage in many ways. I can't delete them. Obviously, my family's on them. Right. But aside from that, um, yeah, everything is very limited. But go on, please share. Um, I was just saying, like, the way people build on-chain audiences, I was alluding to earlier, like, Web2, you have walled gardens, and Web3, you have open networks where very much, like, the, the, the foundational network is, like, Ethereum, right? And then you have all these sub-networks built, and then you have these products built on top of the networks. And when I alluded to earlier, like I was building small islands, like my Lens Island or my podcast NFT Island, whatever it may be, I can link all that value together because it's all built on the same network. Um, so when people build on-chain audiences, I think that that initial uh, graph that I showed up of just like what it means to go viral, it's only possible because of an open network structure or platforms could build in a composable manner and an, and an interoperable manner. Um, and that's very native and unique. Uh, and a very innovative approach framework to to crypto. Yeah. This is a really interesting, um, I guess, diagram yeah. here on the right hand side. Uh, one of the things that I wonder because you can you could potentially think of these networks on the bottom being still the walled gardens that we have in Web two, right? right? So whatever happens on Optimism, well, maybe L2s are a little different. Whatever happens on Ethereum is not so friendly with Polygon. Whatever happens on Polygon isn't so friendly, you know, on Solana. What are your thoughts about like cross-chain vehicles? I have tons of thoughts on this because of my work in the decentralized identity space, mm -hmm. right? And how these um, identifiers could open up cross-chain reputation, cross-chain mm -hmm. user experiences. But do you have any thoughts in particular about like, the walled gardens that are the networks and how we can create bridges. Is it the data? Is it something else? It's something that I've also been thinking a lot about because in theory, yes, it's another garden, but it's a much more expansive garden. It's a permissionless garden in many ways. Um, but to connect the value that's created on Solana to the value that's created on Bitcoin to the value that's created on Ethereum and all its corresponding L2s, um, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, I also am not bullish on products that try to manu to try to get the user to manual link all that data. I don't think it's a natural behavior, and I can't imagine myself taking the time to link all that data. It can be very cumbersome, very annoying. Um, so I'm not sure. In many respects, I'm hoping that Ethereum wins or a network wins, so like an underlying blockchain wins, um, so that we don't have to do this again, right? Um, there's other products. I think it's uh, called um, Delegate.cash. Just released it. Um, it's called, um, it's like a new ENS, basically. that allows you to link all your wallets to one identity, and then you could use that wherever. Um, that includes like, I think it's Solana also, and Ethereum, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a type of product. Right, that does that and creates like a new ENS like domain for your multi wallet identity. 
Um, but yeah, it is a big problem. It is a, is like another another challenge with building a data product um, like Velo for sure. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm always curious. That's that's something that's always top of mind. Um, I personally have a multi-chain thesis for the future. Mm-hmm. I think that there will be multiple blockchains, not just Ethereum, mm-hmm. though I think Ethereum is probably the most expansive and will continue to be just because of the amount of developer support that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there's some fundamental, more um, philosophical things that are permeate uh, Ethereum probably a little bit more widely than on on, on other chains. Um, the um, the way that layer twos have grown also on Ethereum, I think, is part of its value proposition. Where at the further up we go in the stack, um, a little bit easier it is and the uh, to use, but also um, the more fun the experiments become, right? Because mm-hmm. as we get closer to that application layer, uh, that's where we really are. Uh, unlocking the value of Web3. But um, I do think at the end of the day, it's got, it has something to do with identity, uh, portability of data. Um, and so for me personally, I, I'm always excited to see projects like Bello and like the experiments they will run to enable uh, in that interoperability. How do you think we solve that cross-chain problem? Well, I mean, at the identity level, because that's really where I've spent a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about it, um, that problem, and I'll put this in quotes, has already been solved, right? So you're familiar with Disco. They, they've, you know, Evan and team have been doing a really good job at advocating for DIDs, right? I've contributed to many, many other projects that are also building with DIDs, Ontology being one of them. Um, and there are these identifiers to which you can bind multiple wallets, right? Um, Regardless of blockchain. So they're agnostic. They do not care if you're on Ethereum. They do not care if you're on Solana. They do not care if you're on Bitcoin. You can bind multiple wallets, and I'll call them identities as you call them fans, right? Um, Wallets. You can bind these identities to this DID, and then the credentials right, or attestations to the things that you have done are recorded or also bound to this identity that is agnostic of blockchains. You can then use these attestations across multiple chains, unlocking kind of the value of work, contributions, proof of work that you've done on Solana on Ethereum, right? Um, And a good example of this would be a product that I built a couple of years ago called Orange Protocol. That's exactly what we were doing. We're like, look, let's aggregate as many uh, identities from across as many blockchains as we can and then issue these credentials that are off-chain, that are private, that are self-sovereign. Go listen to any Evan McMullen uh, talk and you'll understand very clearly. She does a wonderful job at this. Um, And then leverage these credentials on very specific blockchains. So then we were abstracting the private data from these credentials and issuing NFTs, SBTs on Ethereum, on Polygon, on BNB chain. And these then are composable, easier uh, Legos to build with than VCs are. I realize that not everybody's familiar with that. That to me is like part of the solution. Definitely not all of it though. And their adoption is very limited still. Got it. Makes sense. I'm still curious how you get people over the hump of linking all their data because onboarding is very extensive for something like that 
And what's the incentive for somebody to do that? Maybe Olamo does that, is starting to do that. Like, well, there's this project called Olamo that I met in Paris. They're doing a version of that um, by running quests with brands Mm -hmm. to encourage their users to link multiple identities and they Mm -hmm. get rewarded for that. So maybe if there's some type of like compelling incentive. Um, But yeah, I don't know how that, that, uh, that gets solved long term. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't have the answer for that, obviously. Um, but the one thing I'll say is I think it starts with education, just letting people know um, right. how it works. Because I think people's familiarity with binding identities is that it is public. And as someone who at one time, I, I don't even know how many wallets I have. I'm sure I've lost track of them and don't even have the keys or seed phrases for others. Um, the idea of like binding them together and then revealing the relationship between them is is a bit scary, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing I've always said is blockchains are pseudonymous, not anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is is on-chain and transparent and accessible right. to anybody who wants to um, get that data. So when you start uh, associating or revealing the association between these wallets, suddenly any privacy that you may have, have, may have had goes away. So the first thing is to let people know is like, well, using DIDs, that relationship is um, basically only yours to know and yours to reveal, right? So you, it's up to you to re- how much reveal of those relationships. Could be none and it's fine because all of that lives on sh- off chain uh, and usually, uh, you know, locally uh, at your computer or, or device level. So yeah, I think that education is one of them. Um, the other is like integration, like increasing the adoption of these across different uh, protocols. Um, but like I said, I think that there isn't one thing. It's going to be like a, a Lego stack of solutions that come together and solve that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things like ENS or even Delegate Cash, which I believe you mentioned earlier, these are good vehicles because I think ENS has reached a level of adoption um, you know, that many other Web3 applications haven't. Uh, and if they were to lead the way, the potential is that, you know, we start seeing more of this being used. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. The, the product that I, that Delegate just released was Clusters. That's clusters. What That's what I Okay, cool. I claimed my, I claimed my Levy cluster. As I do it <laughs> I'm going to have to go check that out. Yeah, so, uh, you know, like, none of these things are sponsored. Uh, we just talk about them because they're fun, obviously. Right. Uh, do your own research. But for me personally, I always love to dabble with these new experiments and see how they could potentially be useful. Totally, 100%. Uh, so, you know, I'd, one thing that I, I kind of want to think of or, or I want to talk to you about because I think that this is a very privileged experience and that is you and your team being invited to A16Z's CSS class. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, what what was that like and really what was the motivating factor and what did you walk away with after participating in it? I remember during the FTX bear market, um, we were having a very hard time raising uh, for Bello, as many other projects were. And Bello also got started at a hackathon in East, Den- in East Denver of 2022, or not East Denver, East Amsterdam, excuse me. And we were really just bootstrapping Bello with like less than 20K in grants from Polygon and Lens and Dora Hacks that just gave it to us with no strings attached. And we were building Bello for for solid 10 months like that before we took any amount of money. And I remember we we got an email. I don't remember like exactly 
how it happened. But getting into CSS was very much like, was like a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. Um, because you can imagine that going at something for 10 months, not paying yourself a dollar, only paying for expenses, it can get pretty heavy very quick. And you start thinking like, what's going on here? What's going on with the industry? How is our product going to grow when the entire market is down? How do we show viability for something like this? And uh, getting to CSS was very, was very like, it was a core milestone for Bello. And I remember when we got in, Ali and I, we were so, so ecstatic and so happy. And um, despite getting funding, just being able to work with that team for an extended period of time, the way we did was very rewarding. Like, it's hard to put it into words. So if anybody is considering on applying, 100% do it. I even wrote an article on my mirror that basically says five reasons why you should consider applying to CSS. Because they give you money, they give you mentorship, they give you customers, they give you a network, and they give you life. What else could a product, an early stage company want? Um, and before CSS, we only had a bunch of free users. After CSS, we got our first paying customers. So then it actually became like somewhat of a business now um, versus an idea that we were just hacking away and, and seeing some sort of traction with niche communities. So overall, a very rewarding experience. And I feel like I could speak on Ellie and I, like Bellows, a direct extension uh, of that. And today we announced Tachyon as well. Um, so Tachyon is consensus mesh accelerator, even though we're a little too mature for a traditional accelerator, we more so joined to be involved in the mesh network of all their portcos um, that Consensus has invested in and all the resources that they have. So I see it as like building a network, right? And uh, uh, legs of support when we need it, not that we need it, when we need it kind of thing. And being able to have more people at the team that are excited about what we're doing. Um, so shout out to Mesh, shout out to Tachyon, shout out to Crypto Startup School, you guys rock. I love it. Can we also shout out grants? Because, um, you know, they are honestly what keep many of us developers and founders alive <laughs> uh, in the early days, you know, and being able to maintain these ideas and products uh, keep us inspired. I know for myself and uh, my team at Crypto Sapiens, uh, grants have been, you know, the, our lifeline. Um, and with Mosaic, which uh, we just announced our beta launch today, public beta, um, that is also sustained by Grant. So, uh, yeah, let's shout them out. And maybe you can just speak a little bit more. I think you did maybe cover quite a few things, but a little bit more about like accelerators and its their purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of them, and maybe that's like the the the. the the major topping point all conversation long has been distribution. I think you talked a little bit about the things that they help with in terms of distribution, both customer discovery. Uh, but uh, if there's anything else, maybe you can touch on in terms of the accelerators. Um, I think it's for, for Ellie and I, when we were creating our pitch video, because every project is required to create a pitch video, the thing that we really leaned into was Bella was born in an environment of people working on ideas on the weekend. Like that's the environment that Bellow was born in. It's an invigorating energy that was core to Bellow's heartbeat. Like that's just what it is. And being able to be in that environment consistently for three months 
is the environment we knew that was perfect for a product like Bello and for founders more so like Ellie and I, because we thrive in that. Constantly felt like I was the dumbest person in the room and being able to work with other really, really intelligent, credible back founders. You're just like, I've, I've so much to learn from everybody. And now we have like our own support system. So when you think about like distribution, every time we do something, we have a group chat of alumni just to send links to and for everybody to hype everybody's posts up. And you feel like you have a com like a community that's backing you. And A16Z Crypto did a really good job of curating a really selective group of folks that specialized in different things. So that's even really good of what they do at their firm. Like they hire in a certain way that they only hire people if they've had like X amount of years of experience doing that said thing so that everybody on the team serves a distinct purpose. If it feels very similar to the alumni group that we have now, like if I need to understand uh, smart accounts, right? I go to the port code that was smart accounts, right? I, if, I, if I want to know Farcaster, then I go to David Furlong. If I want to know wallets, I go to Capsule, right? I, if I want to know uh, uh, Fidgetal, I go to IYK and Kiki. Like I have all these lists of mentors and friends that I can now reach out to that just act as a support system. And even beyond that, I think just like one thing that was unique to us um, that maybe you guys will hear more about in 2024 was we had an entire documentary crew following us everywhere. Um, so there were like two, I think three or four teams that had this doc crew, just like filming the day-to-day -day of building their company. And Ellie and I had the privilege of, of seeing that and being around that. Um, so who knows what sort of distribution that may bring to our storytelling side of things. Um, but it's hard to really quantify like, uh, like exactly like what this value is worth. Um, but I support it. It's like, it's like a no brainer. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned, um, I guess maybe how you felt going into a 16 Z's crypto startup school. Mm -hmm. And now you going into Tachyon, you know, the mesh, uh, accelerator, but you're going in at different levels, right? Mm -hmm. You're going in maybe at the capacity of which you saw others at CSS. Right. So you're almost, you know, and maybe not necessarily, uh, you know, you're not expected to be, but you're almost a mentor to others that are coming in. And this is the first time they're going through an accelerator and they totally. get to learn from you and Ellie and everyone else in your team who will be participating in that. I think that's wonderful. Totally. Totally. We're very excited about it. The Mesh team has been phenomenal to work with so far. Um, shout out to Ali, Diana, Matthew, you guys are all stars. Ellie and I feel very, very strong about that. So um, yeah, excited where this, this new milestone takes us for sure. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, right at the start of your uh, of our talk, uh, having gone to USC, and I, I know because I'm a LA native, I know USC is probably, yeah, yeah um, fight on. Uh, they definitely are one of the best schools for the network that they provide you. Um, I wonder if there's like something you can say about that network compared to a network at CSS and the parallels between like traditional education and this much more emergent education that's happening in crypto? Um, USC doesn't really have the strongest crypto network. I don't recall me ever like reaching out to every to anybody on LinkedIn, uh, maybe early on in my career. But I'll, I'll tell you what, like if it wasn't for USC, I don't know if I would be in crypto uh, because I sucked in the classroom. I got C's, D's and F's on 
nearly all my exams. I barely passed despite me trying very, very hard and like dedicating so much energy to studying. I just it didn't click with me. So instead of killing myself in the classroom my first semester, um, I was like, I'm just going to go spend time doing like extracurricular stuff. Because uh, I feel like if I were to apply this energy anywhere else, I feel like I'd get a higher return of value on that. So my whole focus on campus was like starting clubs and being a part of clubs. So um, I was in this club called Tamid, which was like this Jewish American cultural thing that was more for just like a Jewish community on campus. And then I helped start this club called Troy Labs, which was like one of the premier entrepreneurship clubs. And we got half a mil from the university to start a venture fund and to invest in Trojan startups. And we we had demo days where we'd bring all the USC Trojan alums and showcase their products and host uh, panels and discussions and introduce them to investors and then started the crypto club on campus. So I think like doing the extracurricular stuff was the real unlock for me that gave me stepping stones. But after I graduated and got my first job, I never really looked back at the network so much. Um, I do feel like at one point I want, although I did do a talk on campus with uh, my blockchain instructor, Eric Chung, shout out Eric, um, best guy ever. Like Eric, if you're listening, I love you. Um, and uh, that was probably like, if it wasn't for Eric and uh, uh, Bascar, Professor Bascar and a couple others, I, I don't think I would be in this space right now. Um, Eric taught a Solidity class on campus. And like, who the hell was teaching Solidity in 2018, 2017? Um, but he did it. And he like put himself first before anybody else and was really like a shining light like that. So shout out Eric Chung. Um, but beyond that, I think the biggest network that you build in crypto are through the conferences that you attend, creating content like we're doing right now, um, having a platform to invite people to give back and to help where you can is like the best way to, to provide value. Um, so I think like content that you're creating and inviting people on podcasts and giving them a platform to talk about their ideas is, it's hard to quantify in real time, but it has endless value. Um, so I don't know if there's like many connections, but there's definitely similar themes between like being in a collegiate network versus like a professional community-based network like Web3. I mean... If I, that's a closing if I've ever heard one. So I appreciate you, Adam, honestly, for coming on um, and not just sharing your story, but also the story of Bello. And we're so early. I'm excited to see kind of its trajectory and where, where it ends up. Um, Web3 is constantly evolving. So there's just so many exciting opportunities, I'm sure, coming up uh, for you and Ellie and everyone else involved. Anything that we missed? You talked about conferences. Is Bello and team going to be at ETH Denver? Where else can we find you? I'm going to be at ETH Denver. So if you're there, hit me up. Um, biggest thing I'll share on the Bello's front is that a couple of weeks ago, we introduced Bello's public product to the world. And we revamped our entire product, revamped our entire infrastructure, introduced self-service onboarding, three pricing tiers, uh, account admin uh, types. Um, Everything is just like public now, like from being, I think it was 542 days in private beta. Now we finally have a public product and we've learned a lot throughout those few hundred days. Um, and we still have a lot more work to do, but we're at a really good point now 
to take us to the next milestone. Um, so if you're listening and you want to understand and engage your on-chain audience, your users better, go to Bello and start by building a search. It's free. Anybody could use it. Um, and then if you want more, like engage with Walt, you can sign up for a seven-day free trial and go crazy. Well, that's it. All right. Thank you so much. This Thank has been you. really wonderful learning from you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for, for, for inviting me. And this has been great. Thanks.